Hey there, church. So um, I am really excited to continue with our sermon series, The End, working through Revelation this morning. Uh, but before I do, you heard from Pastor David. He just said um, that this is the, the last Sunday that the church building will be closed. So beginning next Sunday, the 31st, um, the church building will be open for corporate worship. And I just want to say before we get into our text here that, that I am so excited to be able to worship in person uh, with you uh, and, and look forward to seeing your faces and, and interacting. Um, and so I can't wait for next Sunday. But I also want to say, look, if you're someone who is at risk um, or you're just uncomfortable, you know, I, I respect you and, and your position and opinion and, and what you need to do to keep yourself and your family safe. And, and I just want to encourage you to continue to engage online with us as we, as we continue to, to work through this series and, and move on from here. But, uh, but for those that will be there next Sunday, I just can't wait to, to see you and, and look at you and, and uh, worship together with you. So uh, we continue today. And uh, last week as we left off, you know, we saw... Um, Everything has been progressing, uh, this, what John is witnessing for these future end times in the tribulation. And um, he saw Jesus take the scroll and he started to open the scroll. And uh, there were seven seals. And with every seal that he opened, it brought a new, um, a new judgment on the earth, something that was decided and declared in heaven, then came to fruition on earth. Um, and as each of the seven seals were opened, that happened. And then as he opened the seventh seal... Um, that ushered in the seven trumpet judgments, where seven angels with seven trumpets, uh, one at a time, blew their trumpet. And uh, with each trumpet blow in heaven, there was then a judgment that was unleashed on the earth. Uh, the last three of them were called the terror judgments, um, and, and, and things have gotten progressively worse. And then um, there was this big, where we ended last week, this big epic battle in heaven where where the dragon and his angels, that's Satan, Satan and his angels had this battle with, with Michael and his angels and the armies of God, and, and Satan was ultimately defeated, and he and his angels were cast out of heaven uh, for good. Um, up until that point, they had access to the heavenlies, but now they, they don't. They've, they've been cast out. And, and here's what, what John tells us um, that he hears in heaven in response to Satan being thrown out. And we saw this last week, but, but this is a good place to start. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and to the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has a little time. And so this is where we find ourselves, right? That, that Satan is now in the second half of the tribulation at the midpoint. He is cast down to heaven and he's defeated ultimately, but, but either he, he just, he doesn't want to accept that. And, and, and he, he doesn't just go quietly, but, but he makes war and, and he comes down in great anger because he knows that his time is short and, and he ravages. So, so here's what I want you to understand about this. Ultimately at this point, Satan is a defeated foe. Right? He knows it, and he wants to inflict as much carnage on believers, on God's people as possible, and he wants to deceive as many to hell as possible. And so this is, this is what will, will be the focus of the second half of the tribulation, is God pouring wrath out um, onto the earth and, and Satan trying to deceive and destroy as, as many of God's people as possible. Right? And we know that the midpoint of the tribulation is goofy. 
uh, that some things happen that, that make a shift. And one of them that happens, we write about it already in Daniel, Daniel 9, 27. Um, remember, the Antichrist um, is, is this, this person that will come on the scene as a political hero, right? Uh, people will not necessarily suspect that he is evil, uh, but, but he will come on the scene as a political hero. He's actually the one that's going to put an end to the um, Israeli-Palestinian conflict in the Middle East. He's going to bring that to an end as he ushers in a peace treaty with Israel. And, and through that, the temple will be rebuilt and, and um, the Antichrist will actually be lauded as just this great political mind, right? But after his defeat in heaven, when Satan is cast out, right, the Antichrist, uh, through the power of Satan, through the influence of, of the dragon, um, will um, break free from that peace treaty with Israel, and he will finally declare himself and his full allegiance with Satan, and, and things will go badly. After half the time, that's the three-and-a-half-year point, Daniel says, he'll put an end to the sacrifices and offerings, and as a climax to all of his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate of, is decreed for this defiler. Um, and, and so we see that at that midpoint that, that this um, covert bad guy is now going to become overtly um, evil. He's going to overtly declare his allegiance with Satan, and he's actually going to set himself up as God. He's going to claim to be God. Uh, look, look at what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. And so, so this, is, this is this moment where the Antichrist will break this treaty. He will actually enter into Jerusalem. He will enter into the temple that's been rebuilt that offers sacrifices to God. And he will sit on a throne in the temple and he will declare himself to be that all of this is for me. He will say, I am God. All of this is for me. Okay, And, and so that's what's happening as Satan is cast down from heaven at this midpoint of the tribulation. Uh, the seventh trumpet is about to usher in the seven bowl judgments where the wrath of God will be poured out. Um, and all of this is kind of coming to a head here. Um, something to know, though, uh, there, there's a couple of interesting things that happen with the Antichrist and, and with Satan during this, this midpoint time. Okay, look at Revelation 13. Here's what John sees. He says, I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its, its horns, and written on each head were names that blasphemed God. The beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. Okay, so, so here's what's happening. At this midpoint, when, when the Antichrist is declaring himself to be God through the power of Satan, um, John says, um, there's, there's this shift. I see this beast, the Antichrist, coming up out of the sea. And he has this seven heads, right? This, this um, kind of picture of, of this fullness of evil and, and, and ten horns and ten crowns on the horns. And we've already said that the Antichrist will be the leader of this 
ten-nation European Union, uh, this renewed Roman Empire that will that will be in power at this time. And um, and John says, when I looked at him, I, he he was a beast. He looked like a leopard, right? But the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. Um, and he got all of his power from the dragon, from Satan. Uh, Satan gave him the throne. And there's a whole lot of imagery and connection there to Daniel 7. Uh, when, when Daniel has this vision of these future kingdoms, he actually has visions. He sees a bear and leopard and lion. And, and so what, what John is witnessing is the reality of Daniel's vision, right, come to fruition in the Antichrist. And uh, um, he, he's going to rise up and, and he's going to blaspheme God, right? Um, but what's interesting, look at this. Uh, it says, I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, right? So, so as John's witnessing this beast rise up out of the sea, he notices that, that the Antichrist suffers a, a fatal head injury, a wound of some kind, um, and, and one that should have done him in, that, that maybe did kill him or, or should have killed him. Um, but here's what he notices. The fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at that miracle, and because he had a fatal head wound, and because it was healed, the whole world marveled at that miraculous thing, and they gave allegiance to the beast. So they, they decided to um, accept the beast as the, the leader of everything, the king of everything. They decided to accept his claims that he was God because they saw this miraculous thing that healed him. Okay? And we know, of course, the miraculous thing that healed him, we just read. All of his power, the throne, and everything came from the dragon, comes from Satan. But people will see this and they will give him allegiance. And so the people worshipped the dragon for giving the beast such power. And they also worshipped the beast, the Antichrist, who is, the, who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? And then the word tells us this, and, and, and this is... This is what happens then as John sees this move forward in Revelation 13, starting in verse 5. Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belonged to this world worshipped the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made. The book that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. And anyone who is destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. And so what happens here is as the beast declares himself, he, he, he is given this, this mortal fatal wound, but Satan gives him the power um, to either come back to life or to make it through. Because of that, all of the people worship Satan and they worship the Antichrist. They say, who is as powerful as him? And, and then um, he is given permission, he's given authority to blaspheme God and to make war against God's people. And there's something that's so critically important there. John says it twice, that the beast was given permission. Here's what we know. 
and it's been true since the beginning. The only authority that Satan has is authority that is given to him by God. And I know that seems weird, uh, but it's just the reality. If we go back and, and read Job 1 and 2, we see that, that Satan comes before God and, and he actually asks God for permission to test and, and torment Job. Right? He says, I want to test and torment Job to see if his faith is real. And he has to ask God permission first. And God says, yes, you can do this to Job, but you can't do this. And Satan has to obey. And so we see here when, when the Antichrist um, is given permission, he's allowed to blaspheme God. He's allowed to make war against God's people. Right? That this is all part of God's strategy and plan for dealing with evil once and for all. And I, I, we're not sure necessarily why he does it that way, but he does. But here's what we know. Satan can do nothing without God's permission. So the beast power here, right? And, and this gives hope to Christians at the time. The beast power is delegated. It's not inherent. It's not just naturally his. It's given to him and it's allowed to him. And it will only be allowed for these three and a half years, uh, the second half of the tribulation. Okay, um, and then John continues with his vision and he says, okay, so, so I see the beast and I see that he has the power of the dragon, that's Satan, and that's the Antichrist. But then he says, I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of the dragon, right? So this is another beast. This is, this is another um, of, of Satan's followers coming up out of the earth this time, and he has two horns like a lamb, and he speaks with the voice and authority of Satan, right? And he exercised all the authority of the Antichrist, and he requires all of the earth and the people to worship the Antichrist, whose fatal wound had been healed. And we know later, like, like John calls this person later, the false prophet, right? The false prophet comes on the scene here, and the false prophet kind of is the spokesperson for the Antichrist. With the power of Satan, they're the ones that tell everybody, hey, you must worship the beast. You must worship him. Uh, the word tells us that he actually sets up a statue of the Antichrist and, and, and through the power of Satan causes it to speak and, and causes people to worship the statue. He's also the one now that institutes what we know as the mark of the beast. That everyone living, if they want to sell or trade, if they want to buy goods or sell goods, um, that, that they will have to have the mark of the beast either on their forehead or on their right hand. Right. And, and so um, he is this this false prophet for the Antichrist. And so what's happened here is um, we've got kind of this picture of an unholy trinity. Right. The dragon that we read about, that's clearly Satan. The beast out of the sea um, that was wounded, but then was miraculously healed and and was the the architect of the peace treaty between Israel and Palestine, but then broke the treaty and declared himself to be God. That's the Antichrist. And this beast out of the earth that makes people get the mark of the beast, makes people worship the statue of the beast, that, that is the false prophet. And, and it shouldn't surprise us that Satan has set up this unholy trinity, right? He's always been trying to beat God at his own game. Right? That's what Satan has always wanted. He's always wanted to be God. He's always wanted the worship and the adulation of, of being the creator of all things. 
He set himself up as opposed to God because he thought he could be just as powerful and just as mighty and just as worthy of worship. And of course, he was rejected and he was cast out. He was fallen, right? And since then, he's been trying to claim worship for himself. He tried in the Gospels when he took when Jesus was fasting in the wilderness and he came to Jesus and he tried to tempt him to reject God's plan and to embrace his own. Of course, Jesus refused, but, but Satan has always been trying to usurp and take the position of God. And so it's no surprise that, that he tries to, to copy God here with his own um, form of the Trinity, this unholy Trinity, right? And, and, and it will last for three and a half years. Um, God gives them permission to blaspheme and to make war for that long. And then John sees this vision. He sees three angels flying through um, the heavenlies, and, and um, each angel has a message. Um, now at this midpoint of the tribulation, now that we see these things happening and that the Antichrist has risen to ultimate power, the false prophet is causing worship of him. Uh, people are choosing to worship and say, who is as powerful as him? The angels fly through. The first one says, yeah, yeah, I know you think that nobody is as powerful as the beast, but fear God and give him glory. That's what the angel says. The angel says, fear God and give him glory because he is the creator of all things and he's about to judge. And the second angel flies through the air and says, hey, Babylon is fallen. And Babylon here is this picture of the kingdom of Satan, right? And the third angel flies through and gives a warning to believers to not receive the mark of the beast. And he says, if you receive the mark of the beast, you will drink um, the wine of God's wrath. And it's a warning of the judgments that are about to be poured out on the earth for those that have received the mark and follow um, the Antichrist, that worship Satan. So John sees these things and, and, and gives those warnings to us. And then um, because of those, because people are told, hey, Babylon has fallen, right? Don't worship the Antichrist. Don't worship the beast, but worship God because he created all of this and he's bringing judgment. And don't get the mark of the beast. John says he hears this. This means that God's holy people will endure persecution. They must endure persecution patiently, obeying in the commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. Look, for Christians on the earth at this time, if they remain true to God, if they reject the rule of the Antichrist and they reject the mark of the beast and they refuse to worship the statue that the false prophet sets up, look, it's going to get bad, right? Um, and, and, and the angel in heaven says they will have to maintain their faith in Jesus, they will have to overcome persecution patiently if they hope to endure. And then they say this, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. And, and, and dying in the Lord at this point has to do with the idea of being martyred for your faith because people at this time will be killed for not receiving the mark of the beast and they will be killed for not worshiping the statue. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. And so this is God's reminder to people on the earth at this time. Look, you are not alone, and you may suffer temporarily. You may even be put to death in the moment, but you will rest, and you will rest from your hard work, and your good deeds will follow you, and you will be in glory soon. 
And then the wrath begins. John says, Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. Remember the seventh trumpet? Um, there's this war in heaven, and all of these things are happening on the earth with the beast and the false prophet and him being fatally wounded. All of this is happening. Uh, but that trumpet ushers in these wraths that God has been waiting to pour out. And John says, Then I saw this marvelous event of great significance. Uh, the seven angels were holding the last plagues. They were ready. And then it starts in 16.2. Um, so the first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth, and horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and worshipped the statue. So anybody following and worshipping Satan at this point, worshipping the Antichrist, will be struck with these terrible, horrible boils and sores that will be very painful. And then the next bowl, the, the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became like blood of a corpse, and everything in the sea died. Right, so, so all of the seas, probably the oceans, turn to blood. All of the fish and marine life in them die as a result of them turning to blood. Um, and, and the world just continues to collapse a little bit more, uh, a little bit at a time. And, and then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs, and they became blood. Right, So, so not just the oceans, but, but now even the fresh water. Right, the fresh water um, is turned to blood. And, and John says this, I heard the angel who had authority over the water saying, You are just, O Holy One, who is and who always was, because you have sent these judgments. Since they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, you have given them blood to drink. It is their just reward. Right, And this is God. He's just pouring His wrath out on the world. No holds barred. He is just... Um, dealing with evil and, and sin with finality by pouring these judgments out. And bowl four, the fourth angel, angel uh, poured his bowl out on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. Everyone was burned by its blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. What's interesting about that um, is that that last statement that they cursed the God who was responsible for these plagues, but they still didn't repent and give him glory. This reminds us of what Pharaoh did back when Moses was, was ushering in the plagues of God on Egypt because Pharaoh wouldn't let the people leave. He had held the Israelites in bondage and, um, and wouldn't allow them to leave Egypt. And, and so... Um, God would bring a plague and Pharaoh would repent and relent and tell the Israelites they could go. But as soon as the plague stopped, um, the word tells us that Pharaoh hardened his heart and he went back on his word. That's kind of the picture we get here, that, that the people that have taken the mark of the beast, they have hardened their hearts. They are worshiping Satan. It's like they've pushed all of their chips into the table and said, we are with the enemy and God is doing these things, but our hearts are hard. But it says they know, right? They cursed the God who sent these plagues. They've chosen their side. They've hardened their heart. And, and, and they're aware of what they're doing. And the fifth bowl. 
the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and the beast's kingdom was plunged into darkness. His subjects ground their teeth in anguish. And guess what? They cursed God in heaven for their pains and their sores, but they still did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to harden their hearts. And soon it'll be too late. The sixth bowl. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. And so the sixth bowl actually dries up the great Euphrates River so that the kings in the east are going to be able, in, in a little bit, to march across um, east without having to, to navigate and deal with the river. The war machine is going to be able to move on towards God's people. Um, you would think that that's something that God wouldn't want, but actually the sixth judgment that he pours out on the earth um, makes it easy for them to do this. It's almost as if he's baiting um, the Antichrist and the dragon, Satan, into this last final conflict. Um, and Satan takes the bait because here's the exact next thing we read, right? I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leapt from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Now look, I'm going to stop here for a second. A lot of you know how I feel about frogs. You know that I hate frogs. I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of frogs. Listen, it may make sense to you. It may not. I don't care. But you know, and, and a lot of you make fun of me because I'm scared of frogs. And I have long tried to explain to you that my hatred of frogs and fear of frogs is biblical, right? Like, like God didn't send puppies in a plague in Egypt. No, he sent frogs, right? They're part of a plague. That's bad. And here, there are three demonic evil spirits that come from the mouths of the dragon, that's Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Three spirits like frogs coming from them. Listen, I'm not weird for hating frogs, right? It's biblical. Um, you're a little strange for not hating frogs, I think, and so we're going to move on. But, but these, these three demons, these demonic spirits who work miracles, and they go out to all the rulers um, of the world, and they convince through these signs and wonders the rulers of the world, to come for this final battle against the Lord on the great judgment day of God the Almighty. So what happens is God pours out the bowl, it dries up the river, the evil spirits go out and say, hey, look, here's our chance. We can get directly to God's people and make war against God who is bringing these plagues on us and make war against God's people. And, and we can finish this once and for all. And the demonic spirits gathered all of the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. And we know Armageddon to be the place of this final battle that will happen. And then there's the seventh and final bowl, the final wrath of God poured out. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl in the air. And as soon as he poured out his bowl in the air, here's what happened. Um, a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple of God saying, it is finished. Then the thunder crashed and rolled and lightning flashed and a great earthquake struck. The, it was the worst since people were placed on the earth. Right. And as the words, it is finished, are uttered from the throne in heaven, an earthquake just 
ravages the world and it is finished, rings forth. And at that moment, right, we look ahead to Revelation 19, uh, starting in verse 11. David, David talked about this text when, when he was uh, leading us in worship earlier. But, but at that moment when the bowl is poured out and the words, it is finished, happen, this is where we find ourselves. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses, from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And then in verse 19, this is what John sees. I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And so, so John see, uh, sees the bowl is poured out, the words, it is finished and the earthquake happened. Christ, the king, comes from heaven on the white horse with the armies of heaven and, and facing off against uh, the Antichrist and all of the kings of the world and all of the armies of the nations of the world. And they're squared off. Um, against each other, and it seems as if we're about to have this epic final battle, um, and, and what we've been waiting for, and what all of this has been pointing towards, and then get this, John doesn't even record a single sentence about the battle, because the battle is over before it begins. It's the presence of King Jesus, and the word of his, uh, of his mouth and, and that just devastates the armies of the world. Like, like, honestly, he says, I see this. I see them facing off against each other. And then he skips to verse 20 and verse 20 says this, and the beast was captured, right? Like, like he doesn't even bother to tell us about the battle because there is no battle, right? All the nations of the world think they're entering into battle, but, but God knows that when Christ returns, he will squash it without even having to lift a finger. And, and the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did the mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and worshiped the statue. And get this, with no fanfare, right? With no mighty battle, the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And that's the end, right? That is how God deals um, and brings a close to the church age and brings a close to the tribulation is um, gathering for war and, and, and manipulating circumstances so that all of, of the, the armies of the world will come against him. And then just like that, it's over. Without even beginning, the beast is captured, the false prophet is captured, and both are cast into the fiery uh, lake of burning sulfur. And it's over. 
Right, and there, there's a couple other things that, that are important in this. Um, one, uh, it, you'll notice we skipped from, from 16 with the, pulling out, the, the pouring out of the last bowl to 19 with Christ's return. There's a little bit of interlude. Some of the angels that have been pouring out the plagues kind of press pause in what John's seeing and say, hey, when that seventh bowl was poured out, come take a look at this because this also is happening at the same time. Um, and, and so we see in chapter 17, we, we hear about the great prostitute, right? Um, the great prostitute who is drunk on the blood of God's people. Uh, and this great prostitute represents the religious systems of the world, right? I mean, I, I want to be clear here, and this will sound harsh, but I need you to understand um, that with the exception of Judaism and its natural evolution to Christianity as Christ came as the suffering servant, as the Messiah, with the exception of, of, of that, every world system of religion is satanic in nature. No matter how much good they claim to be, honestly, no matter how much good they might put out temporarily in the world we live in, if it is not about the almighty creator God of heaven and earth and, and, and the son that he sent, if, if it's not about that God, then ultimately it's satanic and it's giving allegiance to our enemy. And, and um, the great prostitute drunk on the blood of the prophets and drunk on the blood of God's people and those who have witnessed for Christ, that's a picture of those world religious systems and, and it will be cast down. And in chapter 18, we read about the fall of the great city of Babylon, which again is this picture of these political and economic systems of the world, this kingdom of of Satan that will fall, that have been used to keep people in bondage and not freedom. And it will fall and both will be judged with finality and destroyed um, as Jesus is victorious at the battle of Armageddon. Okay, And the beast and, and the false prophet are thrown in uh, the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And then you wonder, what about Satan? Well, Revelation 20 tells us, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. Afterwards, he must be released for a little while. And I know that's going to get weird for you. Um, it makes sense that he's bound in this bottomless pit, right? And that he's chained up and he's locked in there. Um, but this last part about um, only for a thousand years, and afterwards he must be released for a little while. Why? Why in the world would it only be for uh, uh, a thousand years, and why would God allow him to be loosed? And, and I'll tell you what, we're going to deal with that next week. It has something to do with this thing that we understand to be the millennial kingdom, and we're going to dig into that next week, and then we're going to talk about the resurrection of believers and the resurrection of non-believers. And we're going to look at what happens with each of those things. But for right now, here's what I want you to focus in on as we draw to a close today. Look, throughout all of this, God has been in control. And throughout all of this, the victory of Jesus Christ has been certain. Look back at Genesis 3. This is what God says to the serpent, the dragon, Satan, the enemy of humanity. God says to Satan, look, when he's passing out curses, he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, right? 
and her offspring. You will strike his heel. You will um, seem to hurt him. And, and in a couple of ways, that's been happening, and it's still happening, right? Satan is always hurting uh, the people of God. He hurt um, God's Messiah, the, the, the God in flesh, Christ on the cross. But ultimately, we read that, that when the dragon wanted to devour Christ, he was caught up to heaven. He was resurrected. And, and he's been striking at the heel of God's people since the beginning. But ultimately... Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in flesh, He will crush your head. You'll nip at His heel. He will crush your head. God told us way back at the beginning in Genesis 3 that this is how it was going to end. Right? A lot of us tend to think about this, right? We think there's this epic struggle between good and evil, between right and wrong. Like it's the, the, the light side of the force and the dark side of the force. And they're both these equally uh, um, powerful forces. And there's a battle and, and it's, it, it, it's yet decided who's going to win and who will come out on top. And they're both equally strong. And, and I just, I want you to know that, no, none of that is true. From the beginning... God has declared victory. And while Satan has nipped at the heels of his people all throughout history, and he's still doing it today, and guess what? He's still doing it tomorrow. But here's what I want you to know. Even though that's been the case, God declared victory in the garden. He declared victory on the cross and through the resurrection. And he will come and declare victory with finality at the return of Christ at the end of all this. And so when Satan is nipping at your heels, and I know sometimes it feels like it's more than that. Sometimes it feels like it's so big and it's overwhelming and, and you're hard pressed on every side and it feels like Satan is winning. But listen to me, Satan is not winning and Satan will not win, right? Because King Jesus will crush his head with finality. All right, and we're gonna dig in uh, to, the, to the very end of uh, Revelation 20 next week. And then David will bring us home. Pastor David will, will bring us home with um, the new heavens and the new earth and John's call to be on the lookout and to be prepared and to be anxiously awaiting the arrival of Jesus Christ. And I can't wait to finish this up with you. I can't wait to see you in person next week. Let me pray with you uh, and uh, just, just wish you a blessed day. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the truth of your word, and we thank you for the ways that you've poured blessings out on us as your people. God, we thank you um, that our victory in Christ is a certain thing. That while it hasn't happened in fullness yet, that it will most certainly come to pass. We thank you for the fact that you ordained it in the garden, and you've been seeing it through all of this time. Father, we love you and we praise you and we just thank you for all things. Amen. Have a great rest of the day.